Okay, we're looking at Psalm 128 this afternoon. Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Dear brothers and sisters, uh, this is the second, of course, of the uh, Psalms of Ascent that are about the family. It is, in a sense, I think we could say, the opposite of Psalm 127, or perhaps the other side of the coin of Psalm 127. That psalm talked about the vanity of building a house without the Lord. This it talks about the blessedness of building a house with the Lord, in the fear of the Lord. Or you could put it this way, that uh, there in Psalm 127, we saw that our prosperity depends on the blessing of God, And here we find that we cannot enjoy that blessing of God without fearing his name. So we look at the psalm under the theme, the blessedness of everyone who fears the Lord. And we're going to talk first a little bit about the fear of the Lord. We've talked about it numerous times before, but I think it's always worthwhile to um, say a little bit more about it if that's possible. Secondly, we're going to look at the blessedness of the ones who fear the Lord, and then we're going to look at the concluding benediction of the psalm, uh, the benediction that you find in verses 5 and 6. Now, we notice immediately as we look at this psalm that in the first four verses we have what is usually called an envelope structure. That is, you have a statement at the beginning and a statement at the end that are essentially the same. And then the rest of the thought related to the paragraph is enclosed within that envelope. And of course the envelope is the uh, statement, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, or as verse 4 has, behold that thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And this is, of course, the theme of this psalm. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. It's very, very obvious that there, um, the main thought is certainly that thought. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we uh, have emphasized in the past, of course, that this fear of the Lord is a trembling in the presence of the Lord, a being overwhelmed by the sense of his majesty, by the... the uh, piercing light of his holiness by the overwhelming glory of his uh, revelation of himself. And a a sense then that that overwhelming majesty of God is so great that our joints will be uh, unloosed, that our, our very beings will dissolve because of the 
glory of the majesty of this great God in whose presence we stand. That's the first part of this fear of the Lord, trembling in his presence and being then terrified also of his anger. But there's another element, and and this is one I think that I've sometimes missed somewhat in past descriptions of the fear of the Lord, and that is that uh, there is along with this trembling in the presence of God a sense of wonder that this great God will pay attention to creatures like ourselves. You get that in Psalm 8, don't you? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? And there's not just the sense that we're unworthy because of sin to stand in his presence, but that we are such minute and insignificant creatures that it would seem uh, not worth the Lord's while to pay any kind of attention to us at all. And therefore, we are, as it were, dumbstruck with amazement that this God, this great and holy God, should pay attention, should even love, such creatures as we are. So that's the second thing, I think, this the sense of wonder at the great love of God which we have ourselves experienced in spite of the fact that we are such uh, small and corrupt creatures. And the third thing that belongs to this fear of God is what is mentioned here in the psalm itself, walking in his ways. And uh, Job does this. Job associates these two things also in um, Job 28, the very last verse of that chapter. He says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that is understanding. So these two things go together. The fear of the Lord and departing from evil, or the fear of the Lord and walking in the Lord's ways. And you can't separate them. You cannot possibly obey, walk in the ways of the Lord without fearing him. If that fear is absent, then you are not really walking in his ways. That fear motivates us to a proper, reverent, humble obedience to his ways. So the two always go together in the scriptures. So uh, that's what, uh, briefly, I think what we can say about uh, the fear of the Lord this morning or this afternoon. Now, the the second statement that he makes here, the statement that we find in verse 4, adds just a little bit to that first statement, and I want to emphasize those few differences. First of all, it begins with the word, Behold, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And when the scriptures use that word, very often they intention is to call our attention to the fact that this is a very important statement. This is a a truth that God wants us to pay particular attention to. Behold, that is, perk up your ears, listen, because I'm going to say something to you that's very important for you to hear. You need to understand this. The man who fears the Lord is blessed. The second thing you notice is that word thus. 
And that, of course, points back to the blessings that are mentioned in verses 2 and 3. Thus shall the man be blessed. And really emphasizes this. This is, he is saying here in verse 4, the blessing of those who fear the Lord. These things that are talked about in verses 2 and 3. And then the final thing that we want to notice about that statement is that the word for man here is the word that means man in his strength. So we've noticed before there are several Hebrew words for man. There's one that is a very generic use of the word, uh, like our word man often is for us, the word Adam or Adam. It just means man in general. There's another word that emphasizes the, the maleness, Ish, a husband, it's often translated as husband, but it means a male. And there's another word that emphasizes the mortality of man. Man is a mortal, enosh. But this word, geber, is a word that means mighty man or warrior. It emphasizes man in his strength. And I think that's very interesting in this context, that he should choose to use that, not the word the general word for man, nor the word for male, nor the word for mortal man, which might seem to be most suitable for this particular context, but the word for mighty man, the word for warrior. Behold, thus shall the mighty man be blessed who fears the Lord. There are those who contemptuously say of Christianity that it's a religion for the weak. That is for those who who cannot stand on their own two feet, who need all kinds of props and supports to get them through this life. And in a sense, that's true. Because in the presence of this great and majestic God whom we fear, we are weak. But the point is that the strongest of men, the mightiest of men, needs to fear the Lord, needs the blessing of the Lord. And we are strong when we are weak. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's very important for us then, as even those who uh, might be inclined to boast of our strength to other men in comparison to other men, to acknowledge that we need to fear the Lord. And that this religion, which is called Christianity, is a religion for all men, even those who think themselves mighty. Now there's one more thing about those uh, two verses, verses 1 and 4, that you should notice, and that is that they are both objective statements of truth. Many a time, they, I'm sorry, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. In other words, we're not addressed directly here in verses 1 and 4. What the psalm is saying is, here's a, an objective fact, a truth of God that I'm going to set before you. This is a fact of life. Regardless of who you're talking about, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. But then, and now we're moving into verses 2 and 4 here, Notice that he changes to the second person. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine, your children like olive plants all around your table. So in verses 2 and 3 then, this 
objective statement of truth is taken and applied directly to us. He's talking then in verses 2 and 3 about those who fear the Lord, very obviously. What is the blessing? He's saying, what is the blessing of those who fear the Lord? The blessing is this. And he could have stated it in a very objective way. He could have said, when he eats the labor of his hands, he will be happy and he, it will be well with him. His wife will be like a fruitful vine. He could have continued to state this in a very objective kind of way, like he does in verses 1 and 4. But instead, he takes that truth of verses 1 and 4, and he applies it to us. You shall be blessed. When you eat the labor of your hands, that is, when you eat the labor of your hands in the fear of the Lord, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. When you live in the fear of the Lord, these blessings will come to you specifically. So let's talk then about that whole idea of blessing as we find it here. And we have to go back for a moment to the word blessed in verse 1 and repeated also in verse 2. Notice that the psalm emphasizes this idea of blessedness. If you Include in it the word happy from verse 2, and you'll see why we do that in a moment. You have four times the word blessing. Verse 1, verse 2, then verse 4, behold, thus shall the man be blessed. And verse 5, the Lord bless you out of Zion. Now in Hebrew, these are the two different words for blessing. In the first two verses, you have the word that's very often translated as happy, to distinguish it from the other word, the word that you find in verses 4 and 5. The word that means most clearly blessing and is, I think, always or almost always throughout the Old Testament translated as blessed. But the other word is often translated, especially by modern translations, as happy. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord. You shall be happy and it shall be well with you. And we've noted before that this is a, a weak word. Because happiness is a frame of mind, and, state, and blessing is more than a state of mind, of course. Blessing is a state of being. Blessing is to be under the favor of God. Whereas we may talk about happiness in lots of different contexts, and in lots, lots of different ways. But the problem is, of course, that we have no English word different than blessing that we can use to translate that different Hebrew word. We don't have a good English equivalent for that word. And so we're kind of driven, if we want to make a distinction, to the word happy. But it's this happiness, then, the happiness he's talking about is the happiness of being under the blessing of God. The scriptures would always, of course, insist that there is no true happiness apart from God. That apart from God we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That happiness consists in being with him, in fearing him, in walking in his ways, and in knowing his blessing. The blessing that he talks about here is not universal. Blessed, he says, is everyone who fears the Lord. That's a statement that excludes those who do not fear the Lord. There is no blessing for those who do not fear the Lord. The blessing is for those who fear him. It's a very specific 
blessing then in that regard. It's also a blessing here that emphasizes the individual. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. I think it's right to say that, to translate it that way, rather than saying, blessed are all who fear the Lord. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. All those, every single one of those who fears the Lord is blessed. And finally, we may notice, I think, that when we talk about being blessed in in this first verse and in the fourth verse, that's a universal blessing on our life. All of our life is included under that blessing of God. As we walk in his fear, all of our life is blessed by him. Though the psalm identifies specific areas of blessing in verses 2 and 3, nevertheless, it's true that all of life is blessed when we walk in his fear. So let's look then at the, the three blessings that he mentions in verses 2 and 3. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. First of all, then, you will work. As you walk in the fear of the Lord, you will work. And as you work, you will eat the labor of your hands. God did not create us for sleep. God did not create us to sit on our hands while we are living here in the world. God created us for work from the very beginning. And he expects us not to eat of the labor of others' hands, but to eat of the labor of our hands, insofar as that is possible, as he himself, in fact, makes that possible. Part, therefore, of walking in his ways is that you work, that you work at the work that God has given you to do. And of course, that work then involves the offering to God of the tithes and the first fruits of what he gives as a result of that work. The promise then here is that as you work and walk in the fear of God, God will bless you. You will eat the labor of your hands, you will be happy, and it shall be well with you. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7, when he says, uh, Who plants a vineyard? and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? That's eating the labor of your hands. And Paul really is is talking in the very same way that this psalm is talking. But we should notice there in 1 Corinthians 9 that Paul is using this as an illustration of the uh, point that he's making in the whole chapter, and that is that preachers of the gospel have a right to earn their living from their preaching of the gospel, a a truth that the church today, I think, should hear. Preachers of the gospel have a right to earn their living from the preaching of the gospel. And the implication, then, is that 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 statement of verse 7 is true of any laborer, not just of those who tend flocks or plant vineyards, but of 
any honorable and a labor that's done in the fear of God, it's of that that it's said here, then you shall eat the labor of your hands. You will be happy, and it will be well with you. This also is derived, this blessing is derived directly from the word of God to his people in Deuteronomy 28, from the law of God. The blessing that the psalm talks about is the blessing that God promises to those who obey him. In verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord God will set you high above all nations of the earth. But notice these verses especially, which relate directly to what the psalm says. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, verse 4, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. And again, in verses, verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And again in verse, verses 11 and 12, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. So the Lord promised to his people plenty in the land of promise, the good land which he was bringing them to as they walked in his ways. And this psalm simply uh, expresses that same idea of blessing upon those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. We should notice also, of course, that uh, Deuteronomy 28 goes on later in the chapter to pronounce cursing on those who do not fear the Lord. There's a lot in that chapter about this, but we can look just at verses 16 to 18. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the, in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. So that's the first blessing. You will eat the labor of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. The second blessing, then, is that your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Now, there are many blessings, I think, that we, uh, those who fear the Lord, have through their wives. Proverbs 31 talks about all kinds of blessings that come to the man who has a virtuous wife. A wife who fears the Lord, her, her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband shall safely trust in her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And uh, The uh, Proverbs goes on at, at quite a length about the many blessings that come to a man who has a 
virtuous, a God-fearing wife. But the blessing that's emphasized here is the blessing of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in the bearing of children. I think that's the idea, first of her being like a fruitful vine, but also in the very heart of your house as she is bearing her children. She, like Elizabeth, hides herself. She bears the children in secret. She will be in the very heart of your house like a fruitful vine. And you have the idea then of the blessing of many children that come to those who fear the Lord. Now, the third blessing then is the blessing of children. Your children will be like olive plants all around your table. And again, of course, you have the idea of numerous children like olive plants all around your table. Psalm 145 talks about this as well. That's why I chose for us to sing that at the beginning. Psalm 145, or or 144, rather, verse 12. David prays there, Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style. These numerous children, God-fearing children then around the table. And what you get then as you look at this, um, these three blessings together, I think, is a, a unified picture, really. You get a picture of this God-fearing man who has worked at the, uh, faithfully at the work God has given to him to do, and who is now sitting down at his table to eat the fruit of that labor, and whose wife, like a fruitful vine, is sitting at the table with him, and whose children are also there at that table with him, so that you get the picture of a blessed and happy, joyful covenant family, a family living together in the fear of the Lord, walking together in his ways, enjoying the blessings that he gives to them. And I think you could add, because of the metaphors that the psalm uses here in verses 2 and 3, you can add a little bit to this picture too. He talks about the, the wife being like a fruitful vine. And that should bring to mind the idea of wine, of course. And he talks about the children being like olive plants, and that should bring to mind the idea of oil. In fact, in Hebrew, the word for olive tree and oil is the same. They're not distinguished. They're oil plants, if you will, all around your table. So you get wine and oil together here. And of course, the oil is, Uh, on the one hand, a sign of the anointing of the Spirit, but in other scriptures you get the idea of simply blessing that comes through this oil. David says in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. And he's not talking about the anointing to be king, but he's talking about oil as a blessing, a sign of refreshing, a sign of renewal from the Spirit of God. And wine is mentioned in Psalm 104 as that which makes glad the heart of man. These together are a picture of prosperity, a sign of the prosperity 
of that household, I think. So he's deliberately taking images for the, the wife and the children, which have to do with prosperity and with refreshing and with joy and, and so on. And he's making for us a beautiful picture of what it is like to have a family that fears the Lord. But what about those then of God's people who do not enjoy these blessings for whatever reason? Men who cannot be married or believers whose children depart from the Lord or whose wives are, are troublesome to them, that kind of thing. What about those? Is this psalm excluding them from the blessing of the Lord? The answer to that is God blesses each of his people according to his purpose and wisdom. These are signs, especially in the Old Testament, these were signs of spiritual blessings. We have to connect these two things, the the children and the fruitful wife. We have to connect them with the land and the promises that God made to his people with regard to that land of promise. The people's inheritance in that land was tied up in part with the bearing of children. If they did not bear children, or if they lost their children like Jephthah did, their inheritance in the land of promise faded away, was lost to them. And so they looked to these children as the way of the maintaining of their inheritance in the land of promise. We have to understand, too, that these Old Testament saints were looking for the coming of the seed of the woman, the great seed of the woman, and that they were always expecting the, the promised Messiah to arise from their own children. And so they sought children from the Lord partly as a means for the fulfillment of his promise. These things are no longer attached to the promises of God to us. And so this sign has changed somewhat. But they are signs of spiritual blessing, signs really of the fact that those who fear the Lord and are blessed by him have a place in his kingdom among his people and can say with the Lord Jesus Christ that all those who are there in that kingdom with them are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. They are my family and they are the ones with whom the Lord has blessed me. This is a sign then that is fulfilled for us all in glory. Finally, then, we look at the concluding benediction in verses 5 and 6. I think the first question we should ask about that concluding benediction is, who's saying it? Who is saying, the Lord bless you out of Zion? You could think of it as the psalmist himself speaking to us as he has spoken to us in verses 2 and 3. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. And now he goes on and he says, the Lord bless you out of Zion. Though it's not an important point, I think, because you could take either side of this question. Um, I like to think of it rather that this is our response to the blessing we have received in verses 2 and 3. As we hear the proclamation of the blessing of God upon us in verses 2 and 3, then we turn to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we say to them, 
the Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. That is, then may you enjoy the same blessings that God has given to us. All those good things, spiritual and earthly things, which we are enjoying and which we are giving thanks for here. And now, may the Lord bless you out of Zion. This is our song. We proclaim blessing then on our brothers and sisters. It's important, I think, that he says, bless you from Zion. May the Lord bless you from Zion. That's where he and his people live together in joyful fellowship. May the blessings that they enjoy together, that we with God enjoy in that place, flow out to you also. And may you, in their company, enjoy the same blessings which they are enjoying together. May all the grace, the riches of the grace of God, be yours. In the second place, may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. That's very striking, isn't it? The whole focus here has been on the family. And all of a sudden he says, may you see the good of Jerusalem. May you see not only the blessing of God on your covenant family, on your wife and on your children as you are with them at the table the Lord has provided for you, but may you see also the good of Jerusalem. It is the desire, of course, of every godly heart that the blessing which every family, every godly family in the church uh, enjoys may extend to all the members of the church. A covenant family has concern not only for itself, but also for all the families of God's people. We live for more than family. We live also for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the blessing pronounced upon us here is, as you live in Jerusalem, and as you observe your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, may you see the good of Jerusalem. May you be blessed and happy through seeing the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. In a way, that's, isn't it, that's kind of the opposite of that first blessing. The Lord bless you from Zion. That is, may the blessings of Zion flow out to you. And now, in a sense, I think you could say, may the blessings that God gives to you flow from you back to Zion. And you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And then finally, may you see your children's children. That implies long life course, that you may live long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And it implies seeing your children's children, your children, your grandchildren, even your great-grandchildren, and perhaps your great-great-grandchildren, living in the fear of God. And may you rejoice in them. It's the same blessing that Psalm 127 mentions. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man 
who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And the psalm concludes with a final benediction, not on us, but on Israel. Peace be upon Israel. Not an individual blessing, but a blessing for the whole people. It's a blessing that Zechariah describes in chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Zechariah 8, verses 4 and 5. The Lord says in verse 3, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand, because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. That's the picture that we get here in this psalm. Not just the picture of a joyful covenant family by itself, but the picture of many covenant families living together in joy and peace and prosperity under the blessing of God. For they fear his name. There's blessed and happy life then and the satisfaction of godly hearts in seeing the blessing of God extended also to his city, to Jerusalem. May God bless his word to us.